0: perhaps what impact technology and social media have had on content creation, or in general the impact of current affairs on the industry. I also try and find out the journey behind each individual's success, as this is more important to me than the actual travel. This episode aired on my YouTube channel on the 30th of November 2020, and it's with Romy Long Our main topic of discussion was Romy's passion for travel and why it was so important to have inclusivity within the travel sector all that and much more. Hey Romy, how's it going?
1: Good, pretty good, how are
0: you? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, not too bad, not too bad. It's great to meet you. How is um, how is New York at the minute? Um, I know I've seen a few things that have gone on, obviously with the protests and stuff. How's, uh, how is it at the minute?
2: Yeah, New York is, uh, I'll say you know it's getting a little bit better in terms of where we were three months ago in quarantine. They're still pretty much on lockdown. A lot of people are still um, staying in their homes. Well, on the weekends, that's where you kind of see more people going out. But even in my neighborhood in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, people are kind of observing social distancing rules. So people are still staying far apart. They have their mask on. Um, and also the protests are still, still pretty peaceful in Brooklyn. I haven't seen anything turned violent personally. But in Brooklyn uh, and where, areas where I live, it's been pretty peaceful in terms of the protests.
1: I, th- I think it's a case of the message is, is clear, you know, we're supporting this uh, Black Lives Matter campaign, I and mean, if no one's seen it, I, I put out a video, um, I put it out, I thought it was a good time to put out, if no one's watched it, you can do so. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess it, it's, uh, it, we'll just have to see how um, things pan out really, but hopefully this is for the greater good anyway, for, for long term anyway.
2: Yeah, for sure. Definitely, you know, it's unfortunate that buildings were being looted or some businesses were being closed down. But in the bigger picture of things, it's getting, it's getting the objective done. Uh, it might be on a slower process, but, you know, I do think there's going to be positives coming from it. You know, Minnesota already has um, some different rules in terms of police chokeholds being banned. So there is progress being made, um, especially with the Atlanta shooting that happened over the weekend. Um, the mayor had, the, had the terminated the officer and also the chief of police has stepped down in terms of a position. So the fact is, even though it's coming a little bit later in life, there is some positives to the protest, and it is getting, getting work done. I mean, there's a lot more that we have to do, but I know uh, longer term results is going to be what we need in terms of like defunding the police um, and having equal rights and getting our voices heard.
1: You've been in the travel industry yourself. Uh, in 2016, you were in the top 30 30- Forbes list as well for marketing. And so how did traveling start with you? Was it from an early age? Was it from something that you picked up in school? How did it all begin, begin with you?
2: Yeah, it was definitely an early age and I hate telling people why I started to like travel, but it really has to do with the fact that I grew up in a pretty small city called Huntsville, Alabama, and it was not really diverse there. And I was like the only one outside of, um, Sorry, with, outside of my, excluding my family, I was the only one that looked like myself in school. So I didn't have anyone to look at to, to be like, oh, I wanna be like this guy, or I wanna be like that guy on TV. It was just, it was just me um, and the family that I did have in the South. So at a young age, I always had this urge to get out. I wanted to explore the world. I wanted to meet other people who looked like me and also meet people who were not necessarily black or white. Um, I wanted to get more cultured myself just because I knew being in a small town in Huntsville Um, I I would be very limited in terms of like my cultural exchanges and what I could do in terms of um, exploring the world. And I actually got the chance to go to Thailand when I was about, I would say, 13 years old with my mom. And before that, I was so ashamed of being Asian. You know, I was the only one in my school. Yeah, and I I didn't know who to relate to. Everyone's either, um, you're either Caucasian or you're African-American. And then there's me. So, Mm. and then going home there wasn't much references for me to look at. You know, I would turn the TV on. There's really no Asian men on TV back in the early right. 90s outside of, um, you know, caricatures of who we were supposed to be. So I didn't really know who I was. I had that identity crisis. Um, so the only thing I could relate to was the fact that no one was asian in my school so i tried disowning all that you know i tried staying out of the sun i tried even whitening creams as a kid and i regret that to this day oh right okay wow yeah you know especially in thailand whitening cream is very very popular in thailand and most of southeast asia and my mom had some because she also the way she grew up you know lighter skin fairer skin was viewed uh, more prominently in, in her culture and i don't blame her for it you know it's how she grew up and i and i totally understand where that comes from but as a kid, not having someone who looked like me to look up to, I, I disowned everything. I even dyed my hair blonde. I have blue contacts. Oh. <laughs> I, I tried really hard, and I even got a job at Abercrombie. And for me, in high school, in like the in the late '90s, early 2000s, that was like the epitome of like success in like in high school, late '90s era. So I felt like I was part of the in crowd. Uh, but then I went to Thailand with my mom, and I you know saw my relatives. Um, we, and it wasn't any fancy houses. It was literally like we were in huts. We had mosquito nets, um, we had the outdoor yeah. plumbing where you had to flush the toilet with, you know, buckets of water. But that made <laughs> me appreciate where I came from though. And it made me appreciate my mother and how she left there to come to America to give us a better life. So I started um, appreciating that a lot more. And then after Thailand, I started trying to like, embrace my heritage a lot more. And that made me want to travel. And luckily I was able to find a career in travel. And you
1: mentioned that from from an early age, yeah. you know being the only asian in school i mean i can resonate to, to that a little bit because i used to, i grew up in london for like the first 10 years but when i moved up north north was less cosmopolitan so i turned out to be the only asian kid in school myself okay. um so i can understand what you're saying and i can also get what you're saying about um you didn't f- because you didn't fit in mm-hmm. you wanted to be and, and this is the, the really sad thing. I, I, myself, I was I always thought to myself, I should stay away from the sun myself. Uh, now oh, it's completely the opposite. I love the sun, but, um, <laughs> back, back, back then though, you were like, ooh, I better not. Cause you know, you want to stay, you know, fairer as much as you can. Um, but I think that was, that's partly to do with maybe the schooling. And this is probably where there's issues currently with, you know, race issues in. And everywhere around the world, not just America, you know, the UK, Europe, the rest of the world, you were mentioned about the whitening cream, you know, mm-hmm. um, in all over India, you know, Bangladesh, Pakistan, you name it, all those places, they endorse whitening cream and they're endorsed by Bollywood stars who are the biggest superstars you can get. And if they're endorsing it, I mean, that's, that's no good. I think that, that's where I think I totally understand what you're saying and people listening going, oh, how, why though? But you don't understand until you've gone through it. And again, it's partly also to do with the media as well. I've spoken to a few guests in the past about the media and how they would put out what you want to see as well. There was a, a documentary that was out a couple of months, not a couple of months ago, a couple of years ago in this country where they said, Can cultures really mix with one another? But I I just don't believe anything like that. So um, I can totally get what you're saying. And it's just, it's sad, but it's one of the realities of of life.
2: No, exactly. I completely agree with you. Um, And, you know, I agree with the fact that it is part media, part schooling, part your surroundings. And it's just, it's unfortunate that it happens. And, you know, the fact that whitening cream is so available in our our culture, in our, our home countries, It's a little sad because even in Thailand, when I go there and I open the magazines, they're usually um, very fair-skinned Thai models or Thai actors. So it kind of puts in your head that in order to be successful, in order to be viewed as a model or a cover girl, you do need that fair skin. And you know, that's very deep and real in Thai culture. And I think mostly Southeast Asian culture in general, um, you know, it's very ingrained in our head that fair skin is better. And a lot of the times the models and the actors that you see in Thailand that are like the the top models, top actors are are half half English, half Thai because they do have the Asian features, but they also inherit a lot of the fair skin uh, and the genes that a lot of people do prefer. Um, and there's nothing against the actors and the models who are interracial or who are biracial. There's nothing against that. I, I applaud them. I applaud them for giving us prominence and more and more exposure. But it is, on the other side of it, unfortunate for people who look like me, who's a little bit darker, or the Asian guy or Asian girl that maybe have a rounder face and maybe not a square jaw, like the models you see, it, it does play in your mental. Like, again, I grew up in a small city where I was really the only Asian kid in my school, not having TV or movies to look up to. I, I was pretty much alone, and that played a heavy heart in terms of like my mentality, how I grew up, and also how I saw myself.
1: And you mentioned you went to Thailand for the first Mm -hmm. time at the age of 13 and it was an experience that you held going forward. Uh, Similar to to myself, actually, I went to Bangladesh at the age of six and was there for a couple of months and it was a way to get to know the culture. And I remember from then, oh, goodness me, you know, this is unreal sort of stuff. But when I went back, when I came back to the UK, um, I just, I, I remembered it going forward and it helped me. Um, I wouldn't say it molded me to the guy I am now in terms of what I love about traveling, but it was partly to do with it. But um, from that experience you had, though, um, did you take it with you going forward? And obviously the career path that you've taken, it was it was was it part of it?
2: Yeah, I, I, was, I was part of it. I've always been like a champion for the underdogs. And, you know, during that time, I guess I was part of the underdog community. because <laughs> <there was, laughs> No one who looks like me is definitely not on a magazine or in the movies, especially back in like the early 90s. So that's something I always carried with me. So as I, I pursued a career in marketing, I knew that I would be more behind the scenes, which is what I prefer anyways. But mm. being behind the scenes and being where I am now, I do have a more prominent role in terms of who gets to be on campaigns that I work with um, okay. who gets to be a voice who gets to share and that's the reason why you know I love doing what I do now and I've worked with different destinations and tourism boards you know I do help control the messaging I do help guide it and I am able to persuade them to say, hey you know let's maybe consider more diverse influencers going to this country maybe we you know we, instead of using all majority affluent um, Caucasian influencers we mix it up with mostly people of color because they also tell stories and I do work with my destination clients to educate them about the fact that affluence isn't necessarily your skin color affluence is more you know the income that you have and there's a lot of misstereotypes about who is considered affluent
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, so yeah so I work with them saying okay let's definitely make sure that we Make sure that we target the the black community because there are very affluent black people within America. Same thing with Latinas and Asians, et cetera. But unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, marketing is so diluted in terms of like what they consider who can afford a vacation or who can afford a trip. And it's usually um, a Caucasian traveler. And you can literally Google beach vacation or, you know, Asian destination or travel anywhere. It's going to be majority a white traveler that you see on there. So I like to bring the fact that no, let's put sh- more people of color. Let's, let's let's change the narrative that people of color do have prominent roles. We do have income, but we can't afford it. We just want brands to talk to us. And once exactly. you talk to us, we're gonna love you because no one talks to us. Exactly. <laughs> so when you talk to well, us, we will be loyal. And that's also since to my work with Travel Unity. You know, as the president of the board of directors of Travel Unity, we work with a lot of destinations. They're marketing from white papers to even um, going into the classroom setting to really educate people about cultures and communities outside the neighborhood. So I, I am very fortunate to be in the career that I am now where I do have somewhat of a say so in terms of like how the messaging is communicated.
1: And obviously trying to make travel more, more diverse how hard of a job is it then i know you said it's difficult but trying to get a face that isn't blonde or or caucasian how hard is that
2: you know it's it's actually still very very difficult just because a lot of um, brands and destinations in general you know you have this perception of what a vacation looks like and you have a perception of who can afford Know your hotel room or your resort package or your air, airline ticket. It's just all these misconceptions, and partly due to hundreds of years of racism, hundreds of years of media portraying um, a certain ethnic group a certain way. It, it's a very hard thing to to navigate. Even though I am in a role I am now, I don't always win my battles, and there's a lot of fight I have to do, even just to get. So let's say for, for you know, a liquor brand or even a food brand that we potentially work with, just convincing the client to say, hey, you know, this audience segment, they have income. You're just reading yeah. incorrect facts. You know, you're reading very bad stereotypes. Here's the real data on who's shopping and who's buying. So let's sh- shift our marketing. And sometimes I win that fight. Sometimes I get told to hush and keep my mouth mm-hmm. quiet. Um, So I have to kind of pick and choose my battles. You know, I I would love for diversity to be the messaging for everything, but I also know I can't always push my agenda aggressively. And there's some people I have to kind of change my tone or change the way I interact in order to get my message heard.
1: Is it also another issue where um, I've been been harping on about this for a while now, about how oversaturated it is with maybe content creators and not necessarily actual people who tell a story Mm. Um, is everything does everything have to be superficial Um, are we sort of we've gone if you remember I mean I remember back in the the 90s when I was growing up in the early 2000 traveling was all about when you thought about a traveler you thought about a proper explorer Mm. going through you know sometimes years the struggles because traveling is not all you know happy clappy sort of stuff exactly You, you do go through a lot of struggles Maybe it's all about that perfect picture that people want to take. And I I don't know, I think that's taken away something away. I I think it has taken away something from the traveling industry. And then whatever people market these days, it's all based on a perfect picture or a perfect look for, as you were saying, the audience who are going to be buying or buying these tickets to these destinations think oh yeah th- this is what traveling's about and I, I think that's a bit i don't know it's a bit of a misconception i think and it's it's hopefully it changes <laughs> it goes the other way soon yeah for
2: sure I, I completely agree with you like especially with the rise of influencers everything has been superficial recently and you know i have worked in this industry for about like 13 14 years now and i've seen it go from you know traditional press influencers to The mommy blogger space, to fashion bloggers, to food bloggers, to Instagrammers, and everything is so curated. And I do agree with you that I think everyone's so content overload right now, and they kind of want something a little bit more real and more storytelling. So, to your point, whenever I work with influencers, I don't just send them on a trip because I, I, would be really, really annoyed if I send them on a trip that cost me thousands of dollars and all I got back was a photo of you in a pretty dress in front of a beach with nothing really to tell your audience, I would be really upset. And that's not a campaign for me. So when I work with influencers, I'm very strict. I'm like, I want you to have your voice but I need you to tell a story. I don't care what that story is. Hopefully this office is going to be positive, hopefully, but mm-hmm. I want you to put it in your voice, but like, it needs to tell a story. Like, what are you doing in this destination? Why are you here? I need you to tell yeah. me why you're here. Um, so I, whenever we work with influencers for our campaigns, I, I really push and prod and, um, and, you know, that I'm pretty sure I annoy some of them that way, but also the ones that are really caring about their audience and they care about their story and their brand, the authentic way. They they actually become my friends afterwards. Um, we hang out, we get dinner, and they thank me for like bringing them on the campaign. And I open their eyes to new perspectives on how they create content. And I'm not have a million followers, um, but I do know what tells a good story. And I do work for brands sure, and influencers that way to say hey, instead of saying, I'm going to be at this beach, how about you give your fans an option, say, I can either go to the beach um, tomorrow morning or go rock climbing. What would you rather have me do? And then when you experience that, you can get a little education about why you went there, what you did. And as a result, when we do it this way, we get a lot more impact. Um, and we get a lot more of like fan comments and we get people going to the website to plan their trip. So I love a great story. and. I feel like for, for any content creator out there, whether you're, you're white, um, black American or indigenous or a person of color, you just need to tell a story, a yep. unique story.
1: I think you already mentioned it as well, the travel unity, um, just explain that it's a nonprofit organization, isn't it? Where you yeah, try yeah. and bring in more diversity within the world of travel.
2: Yeah. So travel unity is a nonprofit. Um, and what we do is we empower individuals in the community to make it more diverse. There's a lot of programs that we offer, um, that I have to get into at a later date cause it's a lot of details, but yeah. you know, from the individual level and the community level, we are in the school system. You know, we work with educators, college professors to kind of teach, you know, different cultures outside. And we do programs like excursions where we take high school students or college students to different destinations. Um, and also we can do take, People out to like different restaurants to try different cuisine because usually cuisine is a great way to introduce people to different cultures and you'll be surprised yes. that someone yeah someone in one neighborhood has never even eaten Thai food before so even me <sighs> taking to the entire restaurant that opens your eyes up a little bit more so those are small things that we do but there's bigger initiatives that we have like white papers consulting we work with destinations to make sure that their messaging is inclusive We do brand audits to see um, who you're targeting and, like, what you kind of went wrong. There's a lot that we do. And we also do HR training with different brands and companies. We do sensitive training around ethnicity. And it goes from, like, very simple tasks, like, don't touch people's hair. Like, it sounds so simple and so, like, duh. But then you realize when it happens in real life, like, okay, you need to have training on, like, why is it appropriate to just touch someone or touch their hair? Why is it appropriate to say, "Oh, for a Asian person, you're attractive," or "For an Asian person, you speak really well"? So there's small microaggressions that we want to kind of nip in the bud um, in terms of how we work with brands. So that's why I love Travel Unity. You know, it, it works behind the scenes from the from the ground up in terms of really empowering people to be diverse.
1: I just remember something when I was in Vietnam just before Christmas and. I, I, I was with a, a friend who was black, you know, her hair was amazing, but people kept coming up to her going, oh, I want to touch the hair and stuff. It's like they've never seen it before. And I think, again, because they don't really see black people on, on television, um, yeah. I think it's almost like, I don't know, it's almost like a, a showpiece for them. And it's not it's not great because obviously the Asian community there's problems there as well. It's not mm-hmm. just within the white community where Absolutely. racism exists. The Asian community, it just exists everywhere. You, you, I mean, as I said, you know, if my skin tone was darker, I'd be treated completely different. And that's, I mean, there's a lot of work to be done.
2: No, I completely agree with you. Even in Thailand Laos, when I visit uh, like my family and we're in certain neighborhoods, I get mistreated, um, Sort of, sort of bad because, well, bad's the wrong word. Um, I'm treated a little bit differently from what I could tell if I was a lighter, fair-skinned Asian person because a lot of times, um, people do confuse me for the help. <laughs> I've been on trips, yeah, I've been on trips to Thailand where, I don't know, maybe I just have a great fashion sense where I happen to dress like the <laughs> staff, you know, wear similar, similar color schemes. Um, but sometimes, you know, I, I can be in completely different outfits, like jeans and a t-shirt. Me at the resort, is say, hey, do you know where I can change my towel or I need a new room key? And I'm just like, I don't work here. (sighs) Um, I'm a guest myself. And also, you know, kind of going back to the colors and within the Asian community, oftentimes um, as a kid, I never felt, you know, I fit in in America and I never really felt like I fit in in Thailand as well growing up because Mm -hmm. I'm I'm just a lot darker in my family. Like my sister, my mother, um, everyone on the side of the family are all very, very fair skinned, And I just happen to be, brown. Um, so I, I know I'm treated slightly different compared to like my sister, who's a lot more fair skin than I am. Um, so, And also when we go out to uh, the community in different countries, whether it's Vietnam or Indonesia or anywhere, um, I'm, I'm kind of viewed as like I'm a local, as if I, I'm going to be helping someone do something, which isn't a bad thing, but I don't like to be perceived as like, oh, I'm the help just because I'm not a lighter shade of brown.
1: <laughs> um, you're. Openly gay as well. Did you come out to your parents and did they take it well? Because again, another, another issue with, uh, I wanted to get someone on and talk about it. another issue with, um, Asian culture is that not many people come out as gay, um, because it's seen as obviously a, a, lot of, a lot of, it's to do with religion and culture. It's seen as a sin. So when you first came out and let's say when you started traveling, mm-hmm. were you, openly gay when you were traveling as well, or I mean, how did it all?
2: Yeah. Well, I would say with with my parents, it was kind of a mixed bag because, you know, I am the only son in the family and a lot of times in the Asian culture, the son is what carries name on. Um, and with that being said, there's, you know, bad stereotypes about someone being gay, especially in the Asian culture. It's usually assumed because in, in Thai, um, we have one word that kind of describes gay. Um, and it also means the F word. And it also means um, right. drag queen. It's only because we don't have like, we don't have a word for drag queen. We don't have a word for um, homosexual or the F word. It's just Katai. Um, so a lot of times Katai in Thai or even Lao culture is assumed that you want to be transgender. So my dad was more worried about me getting um, beat up because um, he thought I wanted to be transgender. And you know, I, I I have nothing against the transgender community, I support it. But for me personally, I, I don't consider myself trans. So, But his perception, which is a very false perception, is that I wanted to become a woman, a trans woman.
1: Yeah.
2: So he was worried about me getting beat up. My mom, on the other hand, um, she's from Thailand. So for her, it was kind of normal. It was just like, oh, okay. Because okay. <laughs> uh, Thailand's, Thailand's a very open country in terms of homosexuality. And the transgender community is also very, very. I want to say worship, but they're also very cherished in Thailand. Mm. Um, so it, my mom didn't think it was a big deal. My dad was more worried about me getting potentially beat up. But they were okay with it. In terms of when I travel, if I go to Thailand, I'm pretty open. Thailand, I feel very, very safe in Thailand, especially in Bangkok, because it's very, very gay yep. friendly the country. Um, but if I go to Southeast Asia, like other parts that are more conservative, I'm, I do not disclose that I'm gay, especially if I'm going <laughs> to um, a heavy Muslim community where they're very, yep. um, very extreme in terms of how they view homosexuality. Mm-hmm. So I kind of keep quiet more for a safety issue. Um, because I, you know, I don't want to get attacked or, you know, or
1: stoned or something. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, that's the other thing as well. So w- with, so when you're traveling, you want to be, I guess you want to be yourself and obviously yeah. in certain countries where there is a strict ruling and you as you were saying there, a lot of Muslim countries, um, don't see, I mean, they don't see, um, gay as, you know, they don't really regard them as people at times, yeah. which is not, not great and stuff, but. Um this is another thing as well. Would would you try and maybe market these sort of th- sort of stuff when it comes to traveling within those sort of countries or is it just the no go sort of area?
2: It it really depends on the country. Um it depends on a lot of different factors. Some some countries that I work with, I don't even push it because I already know right. It's just too much history that I know in my lifetime. I'm not going to change. Um, but with that being said, I do try to set the groundwork for for whoever takes me takes over when I pass or whatever I go away. Whoever takes over can kind of like start feeding it. But um, so I don't I don't push it too much. If it's a country that's really conservative, but I do. Push it in my own way by sharing research. Um, mm. I share data on income. Um, so there's other elements that I kind of I kind of push it in there under, under the blanket sort of to kind of get it on their radar. But I, I won't overtly say, hey, we should go after this market. It's more like, hey, there's data on this particular audience segment. This is their income. This is how frequent they travel. This is what they purchase when they do travel. So I try to get in that way to plant the seed.
1: So a couple of nice questions for you now. Uh, where would you say has been your favorite place so far? i don't want to
2: say thailand because i feel like it's so like expected but i do love thailand but outside of thailand i was i love singapore because it's so clean oh, <laughs> awesome. i like i love the fact that it's so clean and um there's no litter on the ground and i'm kind of very anal so i like things nice.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so if it, it it's my my personality singapore is really great i love japan and i love Colombia. The food in Colombia is amazing. Oh, yeah. um, everyone that I visit, I'm gonna mispronounce the name, but I went to Cartagena, Colombia. Um the community, everyone was so welcoming and everyone was like really nice and giving my friends and I suggestions on where to go. And again,
1: the food, I just I just love food there. <laughs> the food is what makes traveling amazing. Exactly. I think. Some of the food some of the countries I've had the cuisine is just out of this world. I could talk about food when it comes to traveling. All, all night long. <laughs>
2: so. Oh, my God. usually, whenever I travel for personal reasons, my itinerary is based off restaurants. I'm like, oh, I heard about this restaurant. We should go here first. Or I heard about this street vendor who makes this type of noodle. Just go there. I I literally plan my itinerary based on food because I love to eat. <laughs> what was your
1: favorite cuisine? Would you say?
2: Um, in Colombia, I'm going to mispronounce everything because I just, I just, I'm bad at pronunciation, but it was a dish called Bandam pie paisa it was this plate of like different types of meat it was steak it was the fried pork belly i think they call it chicharrones it was beans and rice with a fried egg Was avocado it was it was my dream because it was a lot of food that i ate like in five seconds oh wow Um, (laughs) i devoured it uh it it was delicious that was probably my favorite dish in colombia in in southeast asia um i was in Myanmar and i don't remember the exact name of the dish but it was a curry dish it was a it wasn't as uh as soupy as like a thai curry it was more dry sort of paste it was it was really good it was very fragrant it's very herbal um it was really good i think i would like a second plate when i was in Myanmar.
1: <laughs> i mean do you travel on your own by the way or is it is it do you, do you always go with someone
2: i travel alone mostly um because i travel a lot for work and then when i do travel personal um sometimes i just like being by myself and i actually okay. like i like being by myself sometimes because it forces me to meet people where if i'm with my friends or my family i kind of stay within my group but if i'm traveling alone it forces me to go to go out and yeah forces me to go out and to meet people and that's usually the best ways where i learned about that country is when i meet a local um i remember i was in japan we went bar hopping i decided to kind of wander off a little bit and i met a local who t- showed me like the like the gay scene in, in tokyo and showed me the different bars showed me different restaurants and and it was just a fun way to kind of like explore thailand not thailand japan like a local
1: <laughs> when you start traveling on your own and what one place would you say that defined you? And you came back thinking, my goodness, I see life differently now.
2: Yeah. It's two different countries. One, I would say it was, uh, when I was in Long Prabang Laos, because my oh, father, yeah. yeah, my father's from Laos and I'm actually not that close to my dad. Um, I'm closer okay. to my mom. My dad wasn't really around. So when I went to Long Prabang, it actually, it was the same feeling I got when I was in Thailand. When I went to the Northern part of Thailand where my mom's from, I just, I don't know. I feel like I was at home. It felt very like, magical to kind of be there um, and kind of see and see how Laos is and see the, the other half of that my father is from. And I felt really connected. I learned a lot about the history, Me, like Long Prabang used to be the capital of Laos. Yeah. My last name Long is is derived from that particular province. And allegedly it's because I am a descendant of someone, uh, a high ranking officer. But okay. I didn't. I, don't, I didn't get treated like I was. But <laughs> but that's where my last name is supposedly coming oh, from. from okay. that province, yeah.
1: I went to. I was in Laos actually just before Christmas as well. Luang Prabang was one of my yes. um, favorite cities out of because uh, I went through from Vient- Vientiane all the way up to Luang Prabang and Luang Prabang as a city, you know, the food, the street, the street market, um, night market as well. And then when you go up to see the sunset, um, I can't remember the name of the place, but it was just a magical place. And I, I, I didn't want to leave, to be quite honest with you. Cause, um, <laughs> it, it, it was that. It was amazing. That made the country for me.
2: <laughs> I think what made the country for me was, um, I don't know, I just felt connected to it. And then even visiting some temples and hearing the monks chant, um, it's just, I don't know. Oh yeah, I like, remember that as well, yeah. Yeah, just something very magical about like listening to the monks kind of chant in unison. Um, it just felt like, I was watching magic happens in front of me.
1: (laughs) Actually, when I was in, uh, uh, there was an earthquake there as well. Uh uh, Yeah. It was 6.1 in the Richter scale. And, um, it was around about 6.30 in the morning and I was half awake, sort of sleepish really. And I, I thought the cleaners were starting early and I couldn't figure out why they were starting so early because I I, I felt something move. I wasn't sure. It was like obviously literally seconds. And then, when I woke up, I went downstairs to be greeted by the receptionist and stuff and said, oh, hopefully you're okay and stuff. And people were talking about an earthquake. I was like, oh my God, was that an earthquake? Because to be honest, with you, here living in the UK, you don't really get many earthquakes and to have actually felt it, uh, but didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like a bit of an anticlimactic because I didn't, didn't know it was an earthquake, you see. so um, But some, someone, I remember someone telling me that when they were walking, because some, some people were quite up, they thought the ground sort of moved, you know, between the legs and between the feet. And it was just, I mean, I would have li- liked to have experienced it a little bit, but uh, I'm glad I did it did not as well at, at the same time.
2: <laughs> I feel like I would, probably be, I would probably be scared. I've never experienced an earthquake before, so I would be total panic mode.
1: <laughs> Obviously, in, living in York, you don't get many, many earthquakes, do you? Not
2: that I'm aware of. If we do, then they must be on the, on the smaller side. Um, and whenever I go to California, I haven't experienced an earthquake yet. And uh, I hope not, too, because right. I just I would not be prepared. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we've come to sort of our end of our chat. Really. Um, well, I mean, I really appreciate you coming on. And it was really, really important what we spoke about. As I said, diversity within the travel industry. Hopefully so we see more of it. You know, um, We're already starting to I'm already starting to see a couple of things here and there. And uh, hopefully it continues and stuff. Uh, just before you go, uh, do you have any specific websites? Do you sort of have blogs or anything that you want to tell Oh
2: about? yeah, for sure. Everyone can follow me at Where's Romy. If anyone ever out there needs marketing advice, my company is just elmntl.co, elemental.co. And if you are looking to um, volunteer or help an organization to really empower individuals to make tourism and travel more inclusive and diverse, definitely go to travelunity.org. That's where you can <laughs> find me. <laughs>
1: We'll, we'll, we'll talk some more, actually. I want to discuss this with you. <laughs> oh, for <laughs> sure,
2: yeah. Once COVID has calmed down, I definitely want to talk to you about press trips in 2021 as well.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. All right, Robbie, well, thank you very much for coming on, and I uh, really appreciate it. And uh, I love connecting with different people from all around the world. And uh, I, I'm due back in New York very soon, actually. It's been about seven, eight years. In fact, if you see me behind me, I've got uh, Times Square. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, Times Square was one of my favorite places when I visited but i need to go back to new york sometime yeah let me know um, when you
2: come um depending on the quarantine situation i'll be your tour guide
0: <laughs> oh, well thank you very much you can follow my guests on all of their social media platforms the details are in the description that's it for take a one of those don't forget to follow me on all of my social media platforms until next time bye for now